100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Pennsylvania native Tori Glennie of Glennie Blood Tracking and the R Tracks YouTube channel. So, Tori spends a lot of time in the mountains of Pennsylvania hunting deer and bears. So, we discussed the best ways for getting your deer or bear out of the woods still hunting tactics for bears in the Pennsylvania mountains and really anywhere in the Appalachian mountains, comparing gun hunting bears and bucks, blood tracking dogs, and how long you should wait to track and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, I got a special story that comes from my dad, Joe Martonic. So my dad just shot a buck a few days ago on November 12th here in Pennsylvania. And I elevated this story to the beginning or to the top of the list to share a Mountain Muck Monday, mostly because there's a lesson to be able to learn here that I'll share with you after I go through the story. So my dad said, the rut was off to a slow start for me in Pennsylvania with the warm weather, but I went into an area that historically had bigger bucks moving in daylight around these particular dates. I planned on sitting in the spot for multiple days with different trees picked out depending on the wind. The spot was at the top of a draw between two big clear cuts, creating a train and vegetation funnel. On November 12th, I sat through the rain and called in this mature eight-point buck to only four yards at 3.30 p.m. The shot hit both lungs and heart, causing the deer to fall within 30 yards. So what... And I, I recommend everyone go over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. You can see the photo of my dad's buck and just a beautiful, mature Pennsylvania eight point. And the lesson to be learned here is that so he was hunting hard, you know, from the beginning, actually even end of October into November and not having much luck even seeing bucks and you know similar to what i had uh, before i shot mine but i'm getting a lot of messages right now people being like i don't know what to do you know just kind of panicked and stressed and i get it I'd, i've been there more times than i like to admit but this is just this is the the cycle of the rut like and just because you're not seeing anything doesn't mean the rut isn't happening it just might not be it might not be a hot doe in the area you're in, or maybe, you know, they're not traveling through that area at this particular time. Like there's, it's just continually putting your time in and eventually you're going to get an opportunity if you're able to put that time in. And there's really no shortcut to that. And, you know, this is where my dad was using that historical data from his trail cameras from years past to kind of make this decision to go into the spot at this time. He hadn't hunted it at all up until this point in the year. And, uh, and it ended up working out for him. And so he was sitting in the rain, which I know a lot. There's also a lot of people complaining about the weather when it was hot and then the rain, all those things. But I mean, you got to deal the cards that you're dealt. And, uh, you know, he, he spent a lot of time earlier that day still hunting on the ground, scouting spots in the rain, or maybe that was even the day before that it was raining, but use that opportunity to scout and, you know, and, and, and ground hunt basically. Cause it was quiet. So there's, there's so many different things that, that you can look at, um, as far as the weather goes, but you, you can't really choose what the weather is going to do. And if you only have a certain window, a five day window that you take off of work, you got to make the best of it. And, uh, I, I just, I think anybody that's still out there with their tag grinding, 
This week, I know in Pennsylvania, I'm heading to West Virginia right after I'm done uh, doing this intro here. It's it's going to be colder weather. It should be good. I, I think that I think this week has historically been slow as far as movement for me, but the biggest deer move um, in this like November the 11th through the 18th time frame, I think is when the biggest deer go on their kind of day walks in the middle of the day. So there's definitely still hope. Don't, uh, don't get too down on yourself about it. There's, there's a, there's still time left. And, uh, I wish everybody luck with that. I still share the story of my buck, um, in an upcoming episode, but I wanted to go through a full season recap that kind of led to that moment because I think that's, there's, a lot more lessons learned than me just telling you the story of that day. So I want to make sure I collect all my thoughts and, and put it out there in a, in a good episode. So, uh, and in other news, uh, I got, I still have, uh, the, the blaze orange series and the deer camp series of, of apparel hats, shirts, everything on the, the website. So go over and check those out. Uh, if you want to get ready before gun season kicks in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania and some of the other States. So, check that out. And, uh, yeah, good luck to everyone as we're getting into the middle of November here. And, uh, like I said, I'm heading down to West Virginia. I'll give the whole Alberta recap. I just got back from there. Uh, and next week's episode that I did with Jim Hole Jr. And Chris Derrick, but I'll save that. Everything's in that podcast. So I won't repeat myself <laughs> with that being said, I hope everyone has a good rest of your week and we will talk to you soon. All right, we're live. Tori Glennie, welcome to the podcast, man. Man, it's awesome to be on the show. I've been watching you for a long time. And uh, so you've become quite an icon within my circle of friends and family. So when they found out I was coming on, I, I instantly became uh, a celebrity within my friends and family, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they like listening to the show. I definitely have some good guests that come on. And it's cool to, to you know... I'd say like, you know, a lot of my stuff is, is Pennsylvania focused. And I think that's where a lot of the audience, you know, comes from in that, that aspect, which is cool. And I got to, I got to know you just basically through Instagram, I guess, for the most part, we were messaging yeah. back and forth and, and I had followed your YouTube channel, our tracks for, for a while. And I think the first thing I came across was, um, you were doing, I don't remember if this was the first one or not, but it was one that really sticks in my mind was a, a deer hunt, um, during rifle season and you had to pack them out. And I'm like, that's my style. Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like these guys, these guys are, are doing it. So that was kind of how I had my first introduction to you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, and honestly, that's why we fell in love with your channel. Um, we didn't know a ton of other people that like hunted the way that we hunt. And when I say we, you know, I have two brothers, five brother-in-laws, and we all like to hunt the deep, you know, Pennsylvania big woods. And, um, and we hunt some private land too, mostly early archery and rifle. Um, but I love, love, love getting out there with the wind in my face and just, I have like this adventurous spirit and I can't, I, I like rifle hunting in a stand, spending time with people I care about. But what I'm really passionate about is like going places I've never seen before and just, I don't know, it, it, it does something inside of me. I have to do it. And, um, so when we found your podcast, I was like, I don't know of anybody else that's talking about hunting this way in the East. And there's like some old timers in the area that were known for steel hunting and like going back in. And they were always kind of like my icons, like my heroes. I wanted to be like them. Yeah. And the thought of like being on foot, like in archery or like uh rifle season and like, 
seeing a deer before it sees you and then like actually making a move on it. I, I didn't think that was possible growing up. And um, it's interesting to see how the tides have changed within the hunting world as you have like that old school mentality of, you know, you sit on a bucket, you sit in a stand and, you know, if it's brown, it's down. If it has horns, you shoot it. And now everybody's, you know, especially your younger generation, which is great having resources like you to help people grow in this area. Like they want to, they want to harvest mature animals. They want to pat, like there's like a great satisfaction in passing an animal up. And I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying that, yeah. but there, I, when I pass up a, a nice two-year-old, like, I, I don't know, it makes me feel good, like inside, because it feels like I'm doing something. Um, nothing against people that shoot, shoot those bucks. Um, that's, it's just my preference. Yeah. I, uh, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, no. If my son was with me, it'd be a little different. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's all it's all your personal journey and what you want out of it. Like it's it is so much fun too. And you're like during the Pennsylvania season, like having opportunities at nice looking bucks that a lot of people would be super happy with and letting them walk by, like, you know, that's you know, it's very cliche to say it's you know, it's not all about the kill, but like it really isn't. And like with like I want to be successful, like that's my number one goal is like I want to be successful at at what I'm doing but I love enjoying the process you know throughout it and and getting to to see that and that's 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 what's so much fun about you know we are lucky in Pennsylvania with over I don't even know what the total state is but I know just in northern PA we have like over 2.2 million acres of public land and there's a bunch of private land open to public hunting and then there's just private land in general that has some really cool uh terrain and just aspect to it so it's it's fun it's a it's a cool state uh to be able to live in and uh to to be able to hunt in that's for sure a lot of people don't even realize how much you know public land there is in pennsylvania that's why they call it the pa big woods and, you know, I was just talking to my game commission buddy about it. And just the game fish commission alone is like 1.5 million. And that's not including the other government lands like DCNR and all that. And I mean, that's a lot. Like I had two sections by me right above our family ranch uh, that are over 100,000 acres. And when I'm hunting like deep in there, like I, I covered probably over 80 miles last rifle season, probably closer to like 100, you know, and yeah. um. I think I saw two hunters out there and like once I got past like a hundred yards from the trucks, you don't see anybody. You know what I mean? Most people are sitting within like a hundred or 200 yards from their truck and because they don't want to drag a deer that far. But once you learn to cape, you know, or skin a deer out and quarter it up and throw it on your back, once you do that one time, you're like, this isn't that bad at all. I'm going to do this every time. Yeah. You know, you, you can do it in under a half hour. And like, if you're, if you get practice, you know what I mean? Like, I think the last one we did was like 18 minutes and, um, you know, we're obviously flying through it. Um, I think I did my bear. I have to check. I have to check on the the video that I'm editing on the bear. I packed out, but I think I did it around like a half hour and, um, it's not that bad. Yeah, no, that's, and, and it's, once you break down that barrier, like you're saying of like understanding that you can pack it out and you have the equipment, whether it's, you know, a frame backpack or, you know, a way to be able to get it out. And there's actually, it's funny. I was hunting a place in Pennsylvania in rifle season. I guess it was three years ago. Now I backpacked into this area and on the way out, I ran into a guy 
that was way back in there. And he, he looked at me surprised as we were at him. And he was like, he's like, you know, I've been hunting here for 20 some years. He's like, I never run into anybody back here. So we were just talking and he was using, he had a roll up sled. Um, so in the snow that oh. helped. So it was just a packable sled that rolled up that he would be able to tie to the back of them and pull the, pull the deer out that way, you know, of a, of a different method instead of packing it out. And, uh, I, I just, I prefer the pack out method because I cut it up one. You don't have to do that once you get home, that's done. Like you got all that work done. done right now. And I just feel good about doing it that way. Um, but I was like, I've never used, I've used a regular snow sled before, uh, when it's snow yeah. out during rifle season, but I was like, that's a pretty unique way of, uh, of handling it. And you know, this is a guy that's been doing it for a lot of years and just like, he found that method to work. And I think that's cool. Yeah. He obviously found something that works for him. Yeah. And I think you can do that depending on your terrain. Uh, some of the places I hunt up in the mountains, I couldn't get a sled over the rocks to save my life, but um, it's funny you say that cause I just tracked a bear for, uh, these two gentlemen. Um, actually they worked for the game commission in DCNR and, um, we didn't even start tracking until we were like over a mile back in where they shot the bear. And after we shot the bear, that's what they did. They had one of them deep sleds with the big high walls, like the black ones. Yep. And we just rolled the bear into that and that's how they got it out. Huh. And to be honest, and I can get into that story of the bear I shot last year, but I didn't even realize you could pack a bear out. I thought you had to take the whole body out because you had to take it to like a way station. And I didn't even want to shoot a bear back where I was. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because like, and the whole bear thing is a whole nother topic, but um, I knew you could pack out whitetails. I thought that you had to take the entire bear out. And I shot the bear almost out of self-defense, which is crazy because I've never in my life been scared of black bears. And I actually dug into it with some research because I saw this morning on Fox News about it was about 10 hours ago, they posted a video on bear attacks being on the rise. And I was like, what? And so I watched it. And I think they were talking about the US as a whole. And they were mainly in Florida where they were talking to these people. They were showing all these videos of people getting attacked by bears. So I call my game commission buddy. It's always important to have a game commission buddy. Yeah. And especially with me tracking, having a YouTube channel, I always want to make sure I'm legal in everything I do. I actually have him review my videos before I post them just to make sure I'm not showing something I like, <laughs> was just ignorant about, you know? And um, he's like, no, he said, there's not many attacks in Pennsylvania. There was a lady that got attacked a few years back and her dog actually saved her life. And the crazy part about it is they hunted that bear for a week, dogs, and they, hunt, they, they hunted the bear off lead. So these, these dogs are just GPS collared and they ended up, they thought they had the bear and then it swam the Susquehanna, the West branch. There's parts of the Susquehanna that are really wide. I, I kayaked it. Um, we did a two week trip back in the day to the ocean, but he, so this bear crosses the river, they lose it. And what's real, the lady almost lost her life. She was in the hospital for weeks and, um, her dog's name was bear that saved her life. And a couple years later, a different bear killed her dog. I was like, holy crap. Really? What are the chances? Yeah. So I'm researching this. I'm talking to my game commission buddy. He said, very rarely is there attacks. And he said, if there is an attack, it's because you're between the bear and where he wants to go or you startled the bear. And when I shot that bear last year, I was 
the place I was hunting for whitetails in rifle season was three and a half miles deep. I was trying to get to this natural funnel. Um, and I was a mile before that. So I was about two and a half miles in. And by the time this podcast goes up, the episode of that hunt actually might be posted. But um, I'm walking on this old mining road. And obviously, I have the wind in my face. And I'm moving slow. I'm just steel hunting. And this mining road's great because there's not a bunch of leaves on it. And there's like a lot of moss. So I can walk quietly. Mm-hmm. And I'm moving nice and easy, just glassing, glassing, five steps, glassing. And I'm almost like the peak is right beside me. Like I can see the peak of the mountain and it's blocking a lot of the wind from hitting me. And it's just all boulder fields up there. And which is the reason why I wasn't, you know, up there. I actually found a bear den up on the peak, like two days before that. And I marked it on my base maps and I was about a half a mile from those dens. And as I'm walking on this old mining road, this bear comes flying off the top of the mountain down through the rocks. And it hits the bench in front of me and it's, it hit the bench, like the old mining road in front of me, like 60 yards ahead of me. And it starts running full speed at me. And again, even in the moment, I wasn't like scared. I'm not scared of bears, nothing like that. Um, and so I have my gun and I'm, I'm waving my hands going, Hey bear, Hey bear. Like I'm yelling it. And cause the last thing I wanted to do was drag a bear out two and a half miles. Like I was there to whitetail hunt. And which I love hunting bears, but this just wasn't the day that I wanted to pull a bear out. <laughs> and um, so I'm waving my hands trying to get this and it's looking right at me. I know, you know, bears have really good noses. Their eyesight isn't the best, but he had to have seen me. I'm like jumping up and down on the trail, waving <laughs> my arms and he's running full speed with doing that bear trot, like just running right at me. So then I have my gun up. I tried to turn my tactic camel on, but it was dead. It didn't work. Thank goodness. Um, it would have been cool footage, but anyways, he's running full speed at me and Ray when, and I'm still waving my arms, Ray, when he got the 20 yards, I ended up shooting him, and he went straight off a cliff into a rock bed way down below me. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? Like, how do I get him to the trail? And then also once I get him to the trail, how do I get him out of here? Two and a half miles. And I call my game commission, buddy, uh, shout out to officer Mike college. And he's like, no, you can pack them out. And I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, all you need is the head and the quarters. So I took the whole entire cape because I made a rug out of them. And uh, I, I actually just got that back a couple of days ago. My, it's in my son's uh, bedroom. And um, so it took me a half hour. And then no joke, it took me an hour and a half to get him from where he died back up to the trail on my back. I mean, it was terrible. And um, packed him out. I was sore for about five days. but you know, once again, that's just, that's just one way of like a lot of Pennsylvania hunters. I feel like they don't know that that's an option. Like I didn't know it was an option. Um, same for whitetails. Once people figure out, you know, holy cow, I can pack a whitetail out. It's actually not that hard to do with some practice. And then that opens up a whole new landscape and all new areas that people can venture out into. And I think once you, once you reach that point, the sky's the limit. I mean, like you can, you can venture into all kinds of new areas and find huge bucks. Pennsylvania has been killing some really nice bucks over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, in the bear population, I know there's a lot more, there's a lot more seasons now to get the bears under control. Two years ago, I had a bear on every single camera and now, which it was estimated over 20,000 bears at that point. And right now I think we're between like 15 and 17,000. 
I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on those numbers, but that's what my buddy thought it was. And um, so it seems like their numbers are coming down. I only have one bear on camera right now. So what's okay. So the first thing I'll say is uh, going back, talking about packing them out. That was a question that, well, I've gotten a bunch and I'm like, and I, I hadn't talked to somebody in the game commission, but I talked to, you know, reading the regulations and I'm like, the way I read this is you can pack them out. You still have to take it to the, to the check station. Correct? Yeah, check. yeah. And I was yeah. like, but you know, and everyone's like, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, and then I started second guessing what yeah. I was looking at, you know? And, and then, yeah. uh, I, uh, another buddy of mine that he actually, they have a YouTube channel. They're not active any, on it anymore, but wild at heart. And, and they're from Pennsylvania and they did a, a spot and stock archery bear hunt and they killed one and packed it out. And they were saying that they were, people wow. were like, Oh, you can't do that. And they're like, yeah, actually you yeah. can. Uh, and yeah, and, and that you're the same, same exact thing. I've never really hunted bears much. Now the fact that we, they have extended the seasons and everything like, and now that I've, you know, I killed a bear in Montana this year and, you know, got to eat all the yeah. meat and bear meat's awesome. Like it's great. It is. So like, I was like, I want to, yeah, it can be, I want to do more. <laughs> I want to do more of uh bear hunting in Pennsylvania. Cause there is, I mean, I've got a giant on one of my cameras right now, just like a freaking toad yeah. of a bear. Actually, I have more bear than deer on my cameras right now, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so that's it's it's, wow. it's interesting. But do you um? So going back, might as well while we're on the topic of bears, kind of talking about there. Do you do you like hunting bears with the gun like a lot? Like how how do you how do you go about that? Like how do you even go into an area so, and look for them? Oh, so we you know we see a ton of bears every year on our ranch. Um, so our family has a, a hunting ranch called Quest Haven and, um, they always cause a pile of problems, but I also, I love to hunt a lot of public land and it's, it's one of those things for me, like everybody always wants their grand slam. And, um, last year was the closest year I got to it in, in like a one year, you know, time frame. And, um, but it usually for me runs into me finding bears while I'm chasing whitetails. I've never personally, I've never gone out and set cameras just for bears. Mm -hmm. It's always like I find them while I'm whitetail hunting. And at that point, it's like, it feels like a bonus to me. Like, oh, sweet. I might be able to shoot a bear yeah. <laughs> while I'm out, you know, hunting. And um, so it kind of ties into the same thing that we've been talking about with like this deep Pennsylvania big woods hunting. Um, I feel like there's a ton of bears out there you run into them all the time. And same thing on the ranch. We see bears all the time, uh, which is not a good thing. We don't like them on the ranch, but, um, you know, for us, like if I, and here's what I've run into. That's a problem. I've had bears that were on patterns, but the majority of the bears that I run into, they were, they weren't really on like a solid pattern. And I've always kind of lucked into running into them. I just, it feels like it's almost like I've just been in the right place at the right time. I mean, growing up, the, my first uh, whitetail hunt, which I had to be 12 at the time, you, they didn't have the youth stuff. Uh, I remember seeing a bear and cubs with my dad. And like, I'll, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like this magical thing for me because we didn't have a lot of bears back then. And I was just so like curious and like interested in like, oh my gosh, there's a bear. It was like so like rare and like majestic to me. And, um, so it always kind of triggered that curiosity. I've heard my dad's stories hunting out. I got, uh, awesome dad and brothers. They, they're the same as me. Like they just, they're full of adventure. 
And uh, they used to go out west and hunt bears. And so you take all those stories versus my interaction with them. And, you know, now that I'm older and I'm covering a lot of ground, it's super exciting when you get a bear on camera. The problem is, um, what would it it have been uh, three years ago? I had a bear that ate three of my cameras (laughs) and, uh, and I, I had this spy high mounting system where it puts the camera up high in the trees. And, um, I did that because a lot of these mature bucks, once I started watching like videos, because once you have a trail camera of a buck, it might, it might've gotten spooked, but you didn't get a picture to realize that you just blew it out of the area with your camera. Where now when I was running videos, I was seeing these mature bucks, look at the camera and then spook. And then I would never get them on camera again. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like these things are seeing my cameras. So I got more serious about camouflaging my cameras, but then I started trying to take them out of their field of view. So I had this camera way up in this tree and I had some awesome bucks on camera too. And the one day I got uh, a cell cam pic of a, a giant bear and I saw him for two days. And then the very last picture, he climbed the tree and it was like his face in the camera, <laughs> like <laughs> and, and then the very next picture it's on the ground and you just see the bears like paul and i never found the camera i found pieces of it and um so i set up another one not far from there he got that one and he got another one after that i lost like 600 dollars in cameras in like a week span <laughs> and um so at, I, it started to shift a little bit for me there i still enjoy hunting bears but they, they've almost in my mind turned into a little bit of a pest not to mention with our experience with them on the ranch, because they, they crush our fawn population. I mean, they, in the springtime, they absolutely devastate our fawns. And you want to know what is our number one issue with keeping fawns like safe out on the 2,500 acres is actually golden eagles. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. Um, these things crush fawns. Really? And um, I, yeah, I haven't noticed it with bald eagles. They're more of a scavenger, like a, like a turkey vulture, I guess. Yeah. Um, but with these big golden eagles, man, they're like a dragon. They have like a nine foot wingspan or something. Um, I had one take off above me the one time, but um, they crush fawns. But we don't have to go down the avenue of golden eagles as a sore <laughs> subject for me. Oh, no. And, <laughs> but yeah, back to bears, I mean, like... Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times well you can with cyber scout from spartan forge cyber scout is like the chat gpt for outdoors men and women you can ask it any questions related to bow building scouting hunting survival and a whole lot more i think you'll be impressed with how it responds cyber scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. 
You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. For you, have you noticed any bears like on patterns or anything like that? I'm sure there are some that have everyday things they do like hitting people's garbage cans or something yeah but out in the game lands i can't pattern them no i i haven't really either other than like no it, it it's similar i mean i feel like at least the way i haven't put a lot of time into hunting them but if i did like it would be like kind of focused around how i'd hunt deer like looking acorns i mean they like eating acorns yeah and they like yep. thick cover and it's just kind of i don't know like I, I i'm interested to hear like with your you know, with, with you hunting them, you know, with on, on the ground, like still hunting and stuff like where you're kind of running into them. But I feel like it's more of, or the way I would hunt them was more of just covering as much ground and still hunting. And yep. until I run into one versus like trying to pattern them yep. on a food source or anything, you know, like in the big woods, I just feel like they're very nomadic and, and some of these bears are, you know, we'll, We'll have bears like where my house is at. They'll come and they'll smash all of our garbages and, yeah. and all, you know, for a period <laughs> yeah. of time. And then someone will kill it during uh, rifle season and it will be like six, seven miles away sometimes. Like these bears yeah. travel. And so it's like, yeah. how do you like what the reason is? I'm not exactly sure. But, you know, yeah. I, I just think I, I feel like, you know, unless you have a lot of people and you're doing big bear drives, like if you're going right. to like still hunt them, um, at least my thought would be is like finding where food is at and finding where covers at and kind of just work in those ridge systems and kind of still hunting them like you would deer. Is that, is that kind of what you've done? I would agree with you a hundred percent. I think they are more nomadic unless they're hitting like a garbage can every night or something. And I think everything you said there is spot on. Um, you know, for me, you know, there's a lot of people that do bear drives, you know, every year my buddies have bear camp. It's a, it's an exciting time. Um, but you know, the bear I shot actually had two tags and it was tagged when it was like, uh, a little cub in a whole nother game lands area. And whenever I looked on my base maps and I drew a line from both places, like just the general area, I mean, it was like 20 some miles away. And I was like, holy cow, this bear traveled a long ways to get to where I eventually killed it. And, you know, I haven't seen a bunch of bears, like my family land that I grew up on, it's, it's a mountain and we see bears up there. But, um, where I hunt now is mostly mountains. You know, we're in the heart of the Appalachian mountains here and it's where I've seen the majority of them is up in the mountains this time of year. And when I say that, like, like, like I, I found those bear dens and stuff, the area I was hunting in was really rocky, like super, super rocky. And there was a reason I was in that area. Um, there's a, um, once again, my game commission buddy, he has access to information on these tracking collars on mature bucks, things like that. And he gave me some interesting information that he said the mature bucks that they had tracking collars on after the rut, he said they were staying in like a 20 foot area on the steepest cliffs you could think of. And I was like, what? And he, I was like, well, it makes sense. Cause like, there's been bucks I've seen in archery that completely disappear. And I feel like I've covered the whole mountain. And eventually I'm like, it must've got shot. But he said, like, once they start to get like hunting pressure, they find an area that has everything they need. 
and literally just stay in that area. And he said, some of it is literally basically like a drop off. And um, so that was interesting information for me to get. And that's what I was looking for. And that was the type of terrain that I was in whenever I ran into the bears I've run into. Uh, Um, It's usually pretty mountainous stuff, you know, just rocky, rough. Um, Not that they don't come down and eat agriculture. They do that all the time too. Um, I've noticed something with whitetails just with my trail cameras. Like every year I have buddies that have farmland that's down from the mountains and they'll get these awesome bucks on camera like all summer, like out in their cornfields and stuff. And then those bucks will disappear every single year. Well, this year I put a ton of cameras up in the mountains, like way up on the top or like the benches that are just down from the top. And I didn't get any bucks on camera, literally from the time they lost their antlers to like right when they shed their velvet and started getting their winter coats. It's like, there's a shift that happens where they have like, you know, the mule deer has like, it's, you know, summer grounds, it's winter grounds. And not that a whitetail migrates like a mule deer does, but I do think that they shift And a lot of these mature bucks that are smart. I think a lot of them shift to the mountains. And because as soon as they lost their velvet and started getting their winter coats between then and like the rut, I feel like a lot of bucks gravitate up into the mountains because they know what's coming eventually that they're going to start getting hunting pressure. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy. Like, I, w- I wonder if it's always been that way or if it's just over time with hunting pressure that they've just naturally adapted that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's probably a combination of that and then also food with acorns and everything dropping, you know, up in the mountains. But I mean, there's probably For acorns sure. pretty close to the agriculture, too. So it's like, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I would imagine they they know. I mean, those deer seem smart as far as like hunting pressure goes and moving up. Like, not many people are going to go up in there and look for them. And you know, the types of areas that you hunt and some of the areas I hunt, it's pretty rugged stuff. And when you get, yeah, you know, up in there, it was it was funny. I remember I was shed hunting a an area that I'd found on a map. It was way back in there. I there there was a point where I was trying to find the most remote places in Pennsylvania, and my thought process was that I'd find the biggest deer in there. Well, what I learned yeah. was that wasn't exactly the case because the food wasn't as great um, back in there. But you were finding old deer; they just didn't have the antlers of it. But what I found was like there was this ridge. It was it was literally four four point one miles from where you could park at. Um, if you had access to wow. private ground, you could come in from a, uh, a different way and, and probably be there within under two miles. But anyways, I went back in there and we found three years worth of sheds laying next to the same bed of the same deer. And they were all the no same way. side. Yeah, I swear. It was, it was incredible. That is wild. But so I started putting cameras in there based off of that. And I was like, this is freaking cool. Well, what I, what I found was a bunch of bears that were living back in there too. And it was some just like knife ridge type steep terrain. And I actually put a camera on a signpost rub and got bears rubbing their backs on it, like going up and like, just like, <laughs> and I, and they have, then they got my camera my camera was laying on the ground with teeth marks yeah. through it. And, but luckily the SD card was still salvageable. So I got to see the, the before process cool. on that, but they just, I, yeah. I lost three cameras in that area that year too. It was, it was just, it was remote. It was thick. The side Hills were like 
it was either rocks or laurel, you know, going down in there and it just allowed the deer and the bears to, I feel like feel safe and, and grow big. And, uh, it's, it's interesting where you kind of find them, but I just always have kind of correlated bears and deer. Like when I'm archery hunting, I do see bears a decent amount, especially earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, sometimes I'll see them, you know, during the rut or late October, but now well, we have archery bear that combines you know they're at the same time yep. for a good overlapping part of the season i'm interested to see if i start getting more opportunities during that time frame um but it's, sure. it, it always seems like you know the, even the people that are driving bears are killing them in thick stuff like you know it's either thick clear cuts or it's thick side hills or it's just steep terrain like that's where i've seen yeah. that uh, it seems like people are killing them the most i would agree i, I just got a call last night um I ended up, I didn't realize who I was talking to. I ended up being somebody I know shot one with a recurve. And it's, it's interesting, you know, just to talk about tracking a little bit. So I have tracking dogs. Um, I import Bavarian mountain hounds. Um, they're an unbelievable breed. They're hard to get, but I've been tracking for a while now since it's been legal in Pennsylvania and which worked out great because we could track on the ranch, but it wasn't legal in Pennsylvania. So when it became legal, I was like the only tracker in the state. Um, and what I've noticed with tracking bears, um, their blood trails, I don't want to say dry up, but they tend to stop. And I think it's because of their fat. And I, I've had old timers tell me this, that, you know, you wound a bear, it's better to get a dog right away because there's a good chance the blood, you know, the fat is going to, you know, seal that wound up, you know, especially this time of year where they're starting to put on a good bit of weight in preparation for winter. And it's the same case. This guy shot it with a recurve, which is sick. He's obviously out whitetail hunting. And same thing that we've been talking about, just ran into a bear. And I think that's such, that makes archery season, season so much fun, knowing that if I see a bear, I can actually take a shot at it, yeah. you know? And I mean, that's like, it's like icing on the cake for an archery hunter, you know what I mean? And, um, but I'm going to be doing it here tonight. I'll have to keep you up to date on whether I find it. It'll be my second bear of the season. And, um, but I've been getting more calls for bears and I think it's because the overlap in the season for sure. Yeah, no, that, that definitely helps us out as, as hunters for sure. And, and talk a little bit about the, the tracking aspect of, no, actually, before you go into that, I do have one more question about, um, the bear hunting. So like when you go out, say, say if you're rifle hunting, um, well, I guess if you're, if it's overlapping for deer it might be a little bit different, but if you were focusing on bear, like what would you do if you looked at like a mountain range and you had some ridges, like what would be your strategy to like still hunt for the day? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I'm not going to act like I have this perfected in any way, but if it were me, um, whenever I was out whitetail hunting and I had a, I had a bear tag, um, when I went to the top of the mountain, um, and I'm scaling all these rocks, I found bear dens. So it was the time of year that there was like snow in the ground. Um, I didn't know if they were going to be getting close to that time that they hibernate, but I kind of figured that maybe they would stay close to those dens. And I could be wrong. I'm actually curious that I want to research this a little more. When do they start hanging around those dens more? Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I knew the terrain that I was in because the bear's got an incredible nose. So just like when you hunt a whitetail, you obviously want to walk into the wind. Yeah. And on days that it's swirling, I honestly just try to stay out of there. Um, but 
you know, as I'm walking into the wind with my rifle, um, when you're up in those rocks, like, you know, there's a good chance you're going to run into a bear. Like it just, it just, I don't know. It just might not make any sense, but like, there's times that you're in an area and you just say to yourself, this feels like a place that a bear should yeah. be. No, I, you know what I, I mean? get that. Almost yeah. like where a mountain lion should be or something, you know what I mean? Where it's like rugged or rocks. Um, there's still vegetation and stuff for them to eat. But, um, and that's exactly where I've been hunting for whitetails because of that information I just told you, where they said, these tracking collars, these deer are on the steepest, roughest terrain and they don't really move that much. So I'm out there trying to find them. You know, how do you hunt a mature buck that is staying in like a 10 or 20 to a hundred foot area when they might be three miles back in, you kind of have to take the fight to them. Um, and I feel like in the middle of doing that, you find the bears. So if I was in a, um, trying to answer your question as best as possible, I would say the best place to look for bears would be at the top of a Rocky mountain and obviously walking into the wind through those areas that you would. I mean, when you look at them, you would say there's got to be bears out there. Yeah. And again, it's still, it's still, you know, that's why they call it hunting. It's still a game of chance. And, you know, will your crap, will your, will your paths cross? Um, in my instance, I don't know what spooked this bear to run down off the mountain and hit the trail in front of me. Part of me wonders if like maybe my scent swirled around and got on the other side of them somehow. And because there's nobody out there. So why would a bear take off like that and then run? full speed at me and (laughs) um that's crazy i've been scratching my head over this for a long time and i've been trying to find answers to it that's why when i saw the news report this morning on fox about bear attacks being on the rise i had to call my game commission buddy and he said no there's not really any attacks in pennsylvania it's very rare um i think that i was between the bear and where he wanted to go yeah and um you know once he picked his path he wasn't gonna change um you know, and again, to answer your question, I would say find the, the roughest, rockiest places. And I know my buddies, when they do bear drives, that's where they go. Yeah, They go way up on the mountains where it's rocky and they just push all that. And, um, you know, you have your dogs that are pushing and then you have your guys that are sitting on the other side waiting. And um, it's interesting, you know, both sides of that drive get shots. Um, but a bear's nose is incredible. Um, I remember hunting with my father-in-law and I was with my wife and we saw a bear like through the brush, like a pr- pretty far away. And, you know, he's a seasoned vet when it comes to hunting. He knows way more than me. Same with my dad. And, um, which is cool cause they work together on the ranch and, um, we call him the dad squad, but <laughs> he's like, I want you guys to walk on the other side of the mountain this way down this trail, drop down to this and do this. And we're like, all right, well, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go to where this bear is going to run and I'm going to kill it. And I was like, that's interesting that he's that confident in this plan because it sounds a little far-fetched to me. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. And my wife and I, we skewed out and we're sneaking slow. We're trying to get a shot on it. You know what I mean? We never even saw the bear, but it smelled us. And my father-in-law went downwind and was literally waiting for this thing. And he said it walked up like 30 yards away. And it was sitting there literally winding us from, from our wind blown up over the mountain. And um, so in, in pertaining to like a bear drive, I think it would be smart to have your drivers be upwind. And uh, that way, the people that are sitting, obviously the wind's in their face, because 
I think a lot of times a bear will actually smell that wall of people that are waiting for him. And I would probably make my dogs, the drivers, have the wind at their back. Yeah. And, uh, it, but the problem for them is they probably won't ever even see the bear because it'll win them way before they get near it. Yep. Um, but their, their noses are incredible. And, um, you know, for years, I mean, that was the only way that I knew of people hunting bears was just doing drives. So now with shows like yours, it's opened up a whole new conversation of, I can actually go out into these big, you know, mountainous areas and find bears, shoot them and pack them out. I mean, it's, it's opened up a lot of doors. Yeah. You, you said a really good point there too, is like, okay, listening to like your buddies that do these big bear drives, because obviously they're finding bears. Yeah. They're, it's a different method of getting, you know, of getting them. But like I, I went on, I went bear hunting with a group of my buddies that, that hunt and they do bear drives every year and they have a giant camp and I went with them a couple years ago. Yeah. And it was like it was really interesting to listen to the older guys in the group talk about and they had like yeah. they had strategies with their drives. It was all about the wind and they were doing kind of what you were talking about and like figuring it out. I'm like, no wonder these guys are successful. It's a different way of yeah. doing it. Um but they they were thinking of it tactically. And I think that's you know you can even if you yeah. don't have a group of people and you're not doing bear drives and you just want to still hunt them, like you can still use some of that same information to apply it and uh you know hopefully yeah, bump sure. in bump into one you know essentially because it's still still gonna you know it's yeah. a game of odds it's it's a game of trying to put yourself in the right place so that luck does flow in a little bit and uh help you out you know <laughs> yeah when opportunity meets preparation yep and um you know that whenever whenever i'm out tracking bears there's definitely an eeriness to it because you're 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 looking for an animal that's wounded and you're also looking at an animal that can tear your head off and it's scary especially if you're doing it at nighttime because if you're tracking at night it's not legal hunting hours so you actually can't have the weapon with you that you shot the bear with so now you're out there you can have your concealed carry for self-defense if you have that permit um but there's definitely an eeriness about it you know even talking to my buddy last night that shot the one with the recurve he's like man i'm gonna be honest like i'm scared to death like he's out there with this little light i mean and like he could easily like walk up on this bear and um you don't have to worry about that with whitetails too much obviously but i i've have i've had people that i know that are in the tracking world that have gotten bored by bucks um which is obviously extremely rare yeah. My, uh, my brother is a federal officer. He's a national park ranger and he got attacked by uh, a deer that had rabies. Really? It's pretty wild. Yeah. I wish so bad that it wasn't like, cause he can't show footage or share it. Cause it's, you know, um, I don't know. There's, there's laws and rules against that for a federal officer. Yeah. And, um, but he had his body cam on and like this thing literally like charged him. He was like hiding under his car and ended up shooting it. <laughs> and, um, but obviously super rare instance that something like that would happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I talk, I have a lot of friends that are, that are guides, um, up in like Alberta and Alaska and Saskatchewan and there's stuff out there that can kill you. Uh, and I hunt out West and often I think about the fact that, Hey, there could be like a mountain lion behind me because they will actively stalk humans sometimes. But I was like, what do you do to get past that fear? Cause I like to get in super early when it's dark when I hunt somewhere and I was like, how do you get past that fear? Like when I, I shot a big mule deer out in Utah, I shot a 200 inch, uh, muley with my bow and, um, we went in super early, you know, in the dark. And, um, he was like, you know, he said, for me, it's a mindset. He said, I have to shift 
my mindset that I'm the biggest, baddest thing out in these woods. And that if anything would pop up or come against me, that no matter what, I'm dominant. And that, and he's, a, he's like, even though it might be um, far fetched or not even true, it's like, it's, a, it's like that way of talking yourself into something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like psychologically, he's not so scared to go out there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad we don't have to worry about that in Pennsylvania. Yeah, no, uh, that, we don't really have anything that'll kill us out here. A, a, a quick story. I don't remember if I even shared this on the podcast. Cause I found out about it afterwards. But when I was in Montana, uh, elk hunting this fall, we had a situation. It was, November, it was September 17th, I believe. But anyways, I, it was me, my camera guy, Justin, and then my buddy Tim was with us and he was behind calling. We had this bull going nuts right before dark. And he's, I mean, he's close. He's on his bench right above us. I think he's going to come down. He's answering us. He's, you know, making some noise. And all of a sudden the bull just shut up and it was nothing. We couldn't, and we're like, well, then legal shooting light ran out and we snuck out of there. And weeks later, Tim is a Montana resident and he had some trail cameras in there. And we were actually set up 60 yards from this one trail camera. And he went and pulled that. He had a way up in a tree. And there was a mountain lion, a big tom there, the exact same time we were 60 yards from us and we never saw it. The exact same time oh, lined up with the, the video footage and everything. And it's like that bull knew that lion was there, but obviously we didn't, you know, cause he shut up and, uh, it was just this big Tom and it's like, man, that's an eerie feeling a little bit, you know, when, when you're, uh, hunting in some of those wild places. What state were you in? Montana. Okay. Yeah. I, I know my, you know, my brother hunts Idaho for elk and the area that he hunts like the first time he hunted it, they were really discouraged because they're like, dude, there's no bulls, nothing for spawning. And here they found out that um, there was a huge population of wolves, which they just made it legal to uh, outfit for wolves out there in Idaho to try to trim down on the wolf population. But there were so many wolves and mountain lions in that area that they said, even if there are bulls there, none of them are vocal. And uh, obviously it makes it tough for elk hunting. Yeah. <laughs> they did kill some, some bulls. And uh, I'm pretty sure they came in silent. Yeah. So, no, that, that like, makes sense. I mean, if I was, if I was a, a prey animal, you know, I'm not going to try to vocalize myself in an area that has a bunch of predators that are going to try to yeah. to find me there. You know, it, I guess it's a little yeah, bit it, more difficult for them to control themselves during the rut. Um, but I, I still think they, their, their fear of dying is greater than, than their uh, drive for, yeah. for mating at some time. So, <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And, that's interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about tracking. Yeah. Um, for, for, for the viewers out there, you know, a lot of Pennsylvania people now that tracking is kind of new to our state. I think we've been doing it for, I think it's full of thought five or six years now. I think it's been legal. Um, and there's a, what I run into is a lot of Pennsylvania hunters. They don't know when it is a good time to call for a dog and when's, um, maybe not a good time to call for a dog or your chances are pretty slim obviously shot placement is really important. And, you know, um, you know, Luminox help with that. A lot of bucks get shot in low light, but even then sometimes like I've tracked with multiple people this year and you watch the video footage and the Luminox looks like it hit the deer perfect, but their arrow flight was off and maybe like that, that it was like this in the air. And so even that is not foolproof, but ultimately the blood will tell you, um, a good bit of information. Um, you know, what the hunter actually saw usually is way different from what actually happened. Cause you have adrenaline going through you. There's all this stuff. There's, there's wishful thinking involved with, with a lot of people. 
And um, so like, at me as a tracker, when, I, when people call me to come track, I go through a vetting process. And, you know, if you word things in a way where you're like, you know, hey, at last blood, you know, did you have a bunch of people in there? Did you have 100 guys grid searching? Um, you know, I'll, unfortunately, a lot of them will be like, oh, no, no, we didn't walk around that area very much at all. And then your dog gets out there and he's mega confused because what happens is like, and, and well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddy's Hoy RX8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. It goes back to self-discipline and also understanding when is a good time to stop and let a dog take over. Um, but, you know, in Pennsylvania for years, we've always just relied on ourselves because you couldn't use dogs. And so like if you're if you're walking on a trail and like you're losing blood and maybe you lose it for a while and then you pick it up again a lot a lot of times you're like okay he's bleeding really good now and you're hoping that he remains you know bleeding good like that for until you find him and sometimes you do find him um but there's a lot of chance i would say more than not the deer stops bleeding again and um i would say at that point is a good time to reconsider like maybe calling in a dog. And the thing that you have to think about is how much did I manipulate the track that's here for the dog? Um, you know, if you walk past that blood a little ways and you don't find it um, and you come back, you're probably fine. Now, granted, you have scent on your feet from that deer and you may have spread it a little bit, hopefully not in the wrong direction. I mean, I've had plenty of instances where I have an, I have a very seasoned dog. If this deer is dead, like we will find it. I mean, he's really good. Um, a lot of the ones that we don't recover are high shoulder shots. Uh, we call it the no zone. Um, and a lot of times you might hit one lung with that angle if you're in an elevated tree stand. Um, but they can, they can live with, without one lung for a while unless they get an infection. But if, you know, to all the, all the guys out there that would ever consider calling a dog, I would, you know, I would say if you gut shot one and it's a good animal, 
or it's you know really important, which we we owe the animal every effort to try to recover it. Um, if you got shot one, it might be smart to just get out and call a dog because you know, using a dog on a gut shot is like an ideal situation because you know that the deer is going to die. Um, chances are it's going to run away, bed down and die overnight unless coyotes running around. I've tracked gut shot bucks for miles before. And when I found them, they were just completely gone from coyotes. And, you know, I, I've seen trail cam pictures of them, like literally eating the guts out of them while they're trying to get away, which is just brutal. I, I hate coyotes. Um, but I understand that they serve a purpose. And, you know, if you gut shoot one, there's a good chance the blood's probably going to stop at some point. Um, and for somebody, like our percentages on like finding deer, if, if I get a call on a gut shot, we find 100% of them. So like it's not 99%, it's not 95%. If somebody gut shoots a deer, we find all of them because there's a lot of scent involved with the guts. You know what I mean? Obviously any yeah. hunter knows. That <laughs> yeah, you know that deer, smell. It smells, <laughs> it smell, you know that smell. It kind of sticks with you. Um, but what's crazy is like there'll be times where like there'll be no blood for a couple hundred yards and then you'll find a piece of gut and then it might open up for a little while longer. And when my dog literally eats that piece of gut, it's like giving them crack or something. Like they literally like, it's like it, it like it, it invigorates them if that's the right word to explain it. But it's almost like giving them like a bonus in the middle of the track and they, you know, their instincts take over. They know that this animal has to be dead somewhere. And um, it's like they kick it in like high gear and like my dog will be like frantic like looking for scent everywhere. And uh, again, I think it's because he knows there's an added bonus. For some reason, they love eating, you know, parts of gut that they find on those tracks. And you wouldn't believe the places they crawl into. I mean, there's been times that we've crawled like in through like little holes that were back in like this thick brush. And they're literally like laying in the thickest crap. I never would have found that deer or even thought to crawl into that super thick, you know, pile of brush but because of the dog um you know we found these animals um you know uh, liver shots are tricky obviously you hear about you know deer going to water we found them floating in reservoirs and streams and all kinds of stuff and um but i would say if you're a hunter and maybe you've wounded one in the past that you're thinking of right now or you wound one in the future I would just keep in mind that a dog is an option and it is possible to make the dog not an option. And what I mean by that is if you go in and you spread that scent all over the entire area, it makes your chances of finding the animal way, way less. And you still might find it. Like for me, I'll figure out exactly where they walk. A lot of times it's helpful if they have base maps or they have Onyx hunt maps or hunt wise. And they actually show me where they walk. And if it gets confusing for my dog, like I can read my dog and I can tell he's looking at me like, Hey, I smell this deer everywhere. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's, it's from the center. And I'm not talking about just stepping on blood and stepping everywhere. Like you don't even realize it, but you're stepping on like micro particles of scent and you're spreading that stuff out. It's stuff that we can't see, but the dog picks it up with his nose. Um, and for me, like I'll figure out the area that they didn't search and I might just do a big circle around it, you know? And, uh, a, a lot of times we'll pick up where that deer exited the area and we'll find them. 
but it does make it a lot harder than somebody that realizes that, hey, this thing's going to bleed a little and then stop. And we got lucky by finding more blood. We should just get away from it. Yeah. And that's, that's the ideal situation. Um, you know, if a dog's an option for you, it might be smart to even contact somebody that has a dog beforehand in your area just to create that connection with them. Um, and, and then they can also inform you on the, the best practices for when to use a dog and when not to use a dog. Well, so, I hope that's helpful. No, that, that, I was just going to say it like, so that's my situation last year. Um, so the, the video I just put on YouTube about my Pennsylvania buck last year was that was a situation. As soon as I shot, I was unsure about the hit and I, you know, I, I waited an hour, I got down I started looking and I called my dad to come help. And then it wasn't, I went 80 yards. And I'm like, Mm-mm, like this isn't, Yeah, I, I'm unsure of what's going on here and couldn't find my arrow. So it's like, is it in them? What's going on? And so right. I, I had contacted a blood tracker actually I, that I met at a gas station that had listened to my podcast. And he told me, he's like, Hey, if you need yeah. a blood tracker, call me. And I was like, heck yeah, this is great. And so I yeah, called him and he's like this. Yeah. He's like, don't go any further, get out of there, you know, do a big circle around, get away from where you think he ran. And it would have been very difficult to find that deer without that, you know, the blood dried up right after where I left it. And yeah. that dog stayed on it. And then I remember at one point he looked at me, he goes, I think your deer is still alive. And I'm like, what do you mean? And, uh, he's like, my dog's pulling. And I'm like, okay. And we went five more feet and jumped him up and then, and then we left for the night cause we saw him. So came back in the next morning, which it rained like crazy. So it wasn't, it wasn't just a little yeah. bit of rain. So dog weren't going to be much of a help at that point, but we ended up finding him only 30 yards from where we jumped him, you know, the night before. Oh, nice. And, uh, so did, but, did he circle back to that area. Do you think? I I don't know. So the way he ran wasn't the way that he died. It actually took us hours to find him because we thought he ran one direction and we swept with a bunch of people all the way down and then came back uh-huh. and he actually circled 30 yards on the other side in these golden rods. So that's why it was tough to see him. He was laying down in the golden rods. And, uh, but yeah, it was really interesting wow. and it ended up being one lung and gut was what it was. It was yeah. the, with the angle, it was quartered away a little bit more than I, than I thought and where I hit, where I hit at a little bit far back. And that's, that's what exactly what it was. And that's why he looked so hurt. You know, when we jumped him, you know, yeah. that was, I mean, we jumped him. It's a good him, thing but, you hit some gut actually. Like, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. for the deer cause you know, it's a slow process, but you know, ultimately, you know, that's what killed him. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's interesting what we see from our perspective when we shot the animal versus what really happened. And I see this a lot, like that bear that I just tracked last week, um, which those guys uh, found out that I was going to be on your podcast, and they were like huge fans. Like, they're <laughs> like, no way, I can't believe it. Like, you're going to be on his podcast, and um, made me feel cool for a second, but. <laughs> they, um, so they were like all oh, the bear, like my dad saw the bear go this way, but my dog is going that way. And I'm like, and, and I'm experienced enough that I, my dog and I have like this chemistry and we can read each other really well. And a bear has a lot of scent that comes off of him, especially if he's going through this real thick stuff. It's like three feet high. So obviously all that stuff was rubbing across that bear. And, you know, he's not even tracking with his nose to the ground. He's just walking and smelling all this thick, you know, brush. And I was like, look, I've made mistakes in the past where hunters told me we were going the wrong direction and I pulled my dog. And when I did that, it communicated to the dog that that's not necessarily what we're interested in. 
because he thinks we're on the same page, but I really have no clue what he's, you know, really smelling. Mm -hmm. And I said, so let's just trust the dog. And you wouldn't believe how many times it's way different than what the hunter perceived whenever they made the shot and the animal ran off. Um, you know, it looks different from being in a tree stand a lot of times. And, um, so, but that's interesting, you know, um, you wouldn't believe how many deer circle back or, and there's a lot of mis misconceptions with wounded animals, but a lot of animals circle back. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll run a bench and then they'll go up to the bench above it and they'll run it back and they'll actually watch their own trail. And like, like literally, I mean, I've had deer jump on the, like on benches above us and, um, or like literally watch us track, our, you know, down the bench below them. And, um, it's almost like they get to a vantage point where they can look and see if there's something that's on it. Yeah. And they know that they might be getting followed. It, it's crazy. These older bucks are so stinking smart. And then you also hear the misconception of, oh, you know, the buck ran straight up a steep cliff. This deer's not going to die because he has that kind of strength left. And I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe how many times we go up like a cliff and in your mind, you're thinking this deer must be in good shape to do this. And at the top, you find them laying there dead. So I would say, don't feel disheartened if your deer is going up something steep, because a lot of times they're dead at the top. Um, you know, there's a, there's a ton of stuff I've heard growing up that through experience, I realize it's not necessarily true. That's no, that's super good information. And so a, a, a couple, couple questions I have on that is, all right, so say you shoot a deer and you're not exactly sure where you hit. Maybe you even think you're like, it looked like a good double lung hit. How far should you track that before you're like, mm, I should kind of back off and, and think about calling a dog at that point? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know that I have all the right answers, but if it were me, I would ask myself, if a deer was double lunged, realistically, how far could it go? Uh, obviously if it's hard shot, it, it, you know, it's not going to go that far. If it's double lunged, it takes time for its lungs to fill up. How long is that? And every deer is a little different. Like their will to live can be different. Just yeah. like individual, you know, humans, like some people are strong willed. Some people are not, They'll, you know, you can give your life up, you know, faster than other people maybe, but sometimes you run into a buck that's very strong willed. That's tough as nails. And it does the unthinkable and it goes pretty far with, you know, with a double lung hit. But ultimately, I mean, have you ever seen a double lung hit deer go over 200 yards? Maybe, you know, that's, so can that happened. I don't know. So this is, I, I've, I would say no until I was talking to, which this is an elk, but I was talking to a guy that I know that his wife had shot her first bull elk. And it ended up going 450 yards when they found it. And it had holes punctured through both lungs. It was like oh. an idea. So like that was kind of like, man, that's, that's crazy to, and, and yeah. from what I've heard, at least it depends on the placement of the lungs too. Like if you hit higher, sometimes it takes uh, longer for that to fill up, fill up. and yeah. uh, then, then a lower one. I, I don't know the, the, the realities of that. Um, and maybe like you said, could be the will to live of them and just everything else. But that was always something for me of, 
like knowing when to to do that and and like you said yeah. it's definitely subjective but that that's a good kind of rule of thumb you know if you're following good blood yeah. and you go a couple hundred yards and it's like mm, maybe maybe i should back out at that point yeah, and you have to ask yourself is it possible with the angle especially if you're elevated in a tree stand is it possible that i hit them high like i've had people like get mad because we've tracked something miles and they're like i'm telling you i hit it right behind the shoulders and you're thinking okay if he's double lunged he obviously wouldn't have went miles yeah so, so is it possible that he hit the high shoulder in the no zone and there's different like different bubbles to look for too when you look at a deer just because you see bubbles doesn't necessarily mean that you hit them in the lungs it's them real small foamy type bu- bubbles that would indicate like a lung shot usually um but just as soon as I think I know everything about whitetails, they prove me wrong. I see stuff <laughs> all the time and I'm like, how do I gauge this in the future? And, but you know, is, you know, the guy that we were tracking for made a high shoulder shot. And I told him that, and we tracked all night long. And I think he was thinking my tracker's tired and he just doesn't want to track anymore, but this deer has to be dead. You know what I mean? And, and that wasn't it at all. I mean, we tracked all night and I have a hard time stopping. Like I'm the type of guy that like, I'll just go and go and go. I have a hard time leaving. Uh, I call them murder mysteries. Every time we're out there, it's a murder mystery. I, I have a hard time leaving a- any track until all signs point towards this isn't going to happen. I mean, there's times that we've jumped bucks three times before somebody finally got a shot on it to kill it with a crossbow or whatever. And, um, but you know, that guy the next year sent me a picture of that same buck and he was like, Hey, I want to apologize. You were right. And you can clearly see where he hit it, you know, and he hit it right in the high shoulder. And that's just one instance, but that happens a lot. Yeah. And I think it's part of it is just human nature. Like you shot maybe like the best buck you've ever shot, or you have a lot of confidence in your skill, man, it happens. You know, we make bad shots. If you bow hunt long enough, you're going to eventually make a shot that maybe wasn't favorable or maybe you didn't see that limb or something. And, um, you know, I guess everybody wants to believe that, no, I hit him perfect. He should be dead. But you have to ask yourself if I did double on him, if I did hit him in vital organs, how far would he have realistically went? And are we past that threshold? And, and on top of that, like a lot of gut shots won't go far and they'll bed down, but how do you know that for sure? And like, it's just a safe bet to say, Hey, I shot one tonight in the guts. I let it go. Would you be interested in tracking in the morning? And I take almost all those calls because we find all of them, every single one of them we find. And um, whether the deer went miles after that because the coyote pushed it Mm -hmm. or whether it's 30 yards inside the woods. And, um, but I would say a good time to back out on a shot that you thought was double lunged is when you get past that threshold of could that deer have died? with both lungs being hit at this point. And, um, you know, am I losing blood? Like, am I picking up blood and then losing it? Am I picking up blood and then losing it? People will call me and say, I lost blood and I've been looking all over the place for it. And I'll be like, look, the best thing you can do at this point is to try to find even the smallest speck of blood just to let us know he went this way. Mark it, get away from it. And my dog will find it if he's dead or we'll jump him. And, um, and all that does is it sets the dog up for success. You know, the more you look and the more you spread that scent out, you're just hurting your chances of actually finding the deer. 
it's hard to do in human nature because yeah. we just want to keep going. And, and it, I'm saying this, but it's hard for me to do it. And I know when to back out. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and I think like the thing about the shot thing is, I mean, especially for men, our egos take yeah. over and it's like a hundred percent. And that's, yeah. and it's like, I, no, I practice all the time. Like I, you know, and you make mistakes. I, I had that string last year of, of mistakes and, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. Like as much as, you know, that I practice and I feel confident in my shooting, you're going to have those things that happen. And it's just, yeah, it's trying to be able to recognize that. And like, I've, I feel like too, like with gut shots, you know, for me, I've always tried to give them eight hours. Like if I know it's a, it's a gut shot. Um, and, and liver, my rule of thumb was always six. I don't know if that's what you found or, and I don't even climb out of the tree before an hour unless I hear them like, completely like kicking kicking or like, you know, he's down, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great rule of thumb. Um, and those eight waiting, those eight hours is really tough. Mm. I mean, it is really, really tough, but you just, you have to make a decision before you, you know, as soon as it happens, you just have to make that choice, set a timer and be like, I am not going to go look for that deer until this timer goes off. Um, because, especially with a gut hit, like the deer is going to die. There will be gold at the end of this rainbow, but we, you just don't want to mess up your chances and patience is a virtue. <laughs> like you have to, Yeah. and it, it sucks. You might not sleep that night. You know, you might, it, it's, it's, we've all felt that feeling, but you owe it to the deer to do everything on your end to try to recover it. Well, and it's, it's so. crazy. Like, so I've had two different scenarios with gut shots that I can, I can think of. There was one in Ohio that I shot a buck and he only bedded down 40 yards away and ended up dying there. But I snuck down the tree and went and waited in the truck for the time frame until I could go back. Yeah. And he was laying right there. I mean, it was like, but then there was that yep. deer last year that he went 400 yards or almost 500 yards before he laid down. And then, you know, it was the same mm-hmm. type of scenario, um, but just different different situations and then like then the liver the liver hits it seems like and you mentioned it about finding them towards water is that when they typically go to water is is liver yeah yeah and, and i can think of a lot of instances where that that was true and the liver is kind of weird it kind of covers like a weird area in the body so it's it's worth like looking at a diagram of a deer to see like did is it possible that i hit the liver um but they definitely and I should know this, but it does something inside of them with their liver that they like, they get extremely thirsty and you'll like, I, like I said, I found them floating. Like the the one day we were tracking and we covered a pretty big stretch of the deer's blood trail that we knew for a fact that he went that direction. The hunter had it ribboned nice and organized and it was on this highway trail. And I asked him, I was like, is there water around here? Cause it looks like a liver hit. And he's like, yeah, we're going right towards the stream. So the deer had to have stayed on this trail. He just stopped bleeding. And I'm like, okay, was there any other water? You know, no, not that he knew of. And my dog literally got to the last ribbon and like took a right-hand turn and like jumped over a brush pile and like started going a whole nother direction away from the water. And the hunter's like, what the heck, man? Like your dog's already off the trail. And I'm like, all right, well, let's just trust him and see what he does for a second before we reset him. And we go out there like, I don't know, like a hundred yards or so and boom, blood. And he's like, oh my gosh, like he's actually on it. But where's this deer headed to? 
And I can't remember how far it was, but we eventually found him floating in an old reservoir on the public land, like just floating in the water. And, but, you know, once again, just trusting your dog, not that your dog's always right, because there might be, there might've been three bucks that were with that buck when he got shot. So you have their scent mixed in with the blood and all the other scent. So it is possible for him to follow one of those other ones. Um, and there's times that we've reset and then put the dog on the right track because, you know, he's, he's trying to navigate through a bunch of different like scent profiles, And it's crazy. Like that's why when I'm training my dogs, I use materials from the same animal, you know, hooves, I'll use hawks from the deer. Uh, the, the reward meat is from the same deer. The, the reward hide is from the same meat. I'll even take belly hide and I'll go like this while I'm walking just to drop some belly scent. Cause you're trying to make it as real as possible, but nothing yeah. beats a real track. And, um, and, and one of the benefits of training at Quest Haven is we have a higher population density of deer. So if my dog can sort through all the scent on the ranch and stay on the right deer, public land or, you know, any free range is a walk in the park, Yeah, you know, cause they don't have to sort through so much scent. Um, so like, you know, training them here on the ranch kind of prepares them for the big leagues. You know, when, when we, when it comes to the real thing at that point, the training kicks in and it's easy for them. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. No, that, that, that is, uh, that is really interesting. And, and, and just I don't like, know why they call it blood tracking. I've always wondered that because no one calls you when there's blood. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's so true. You should call it hoof gland tracking. <laughs> yeah. Well, but back to what you talking about the anatomy of the deer. Last point I want to make on this is just when you look at the anatomy, it's so difficult to tell. You have to look at their legs and when their front legs position, because I've made that mistake before that I think I'm shooting, you know, right behind the shoulder, but that front leg was back quite a ways and you shoot right behind the yeah. shoulder and you're actually shooting liver and guts, you know, yeah, like, yeah. And, yep. and that's, that's a real possibility. I mean, that happened with my buddy, um, in Montana this year where he had a bull liver and ended up, we ended up finding it two miles away, but it was from the standpoint of his leg was back further and, 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 you know, hit right where he was aiming, but it wasn't the right spot to be aiming because of that. And it was just, it, it's, it's, it's hard and it's hard in that moment to, to recognize all that stuff. It takes, yeah, it is. it's, yeah, it's not archery there's hunting. Is it easy? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to consider. Experience is invaluable. Um, and to be honest, now that I'm in the tracking world and I'm tracking like almost every night, especially mainly during the rut, um, you learn so much. And, and here's something else that I would recommend for every hunter. There's some books out there that are incredible resources for people when it comes to tracking. And, and these, are, these are books that are about like tracking with dogs, but there's so much amazing information in there that is outside of actually using the dog. Yeah. It's about, you know, deer in general. Um, there's some great YouTube channels like Simpson Whitetails and all that. Well, they'll actually show you at the end of the, you know, in the video where the hit actually was. They'll show you a diagram. And, um, but like the one book is it's by a guy named John Jehenny. He's kind of a legend in the tracking world. Um, it's called tracking wounded game with dogs, I think. And then there's another one that's called tracking dogs, but, and, and you can just skip the dog stuff if you don't, if you're not interested in, in dog tracking, but just go to the chapters that inform you on 
just different shot placements and, and what you can expect from those hits. I mean, it's, it's invaluable. I'm going to buy that. I, I learned a book. ton just from that. It's good. The dude's a legend. He just passed away a few years ago. I'm sick about it because I, I wanted to have him on my channel, but he's, he's an absolute stud. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, iconic figures in the tracking world. Um, I actually thought about doing my own podcast that is, it would cover some hunting, but it was mostly about like tracking yeah. and, and some of the stuff that I'm into. And uh, you've inspired me. That, that you should. I think that would be, I, I'd listen to it. That'd be incredible information. I mean, that's, I, I just see that as like the fact that they've legalized it in Pennsylvania is, is and I know it's legal in a ton of other states. I'm not sure even where it's not, but like, it's such a valuable resource to, to be able to, yeah. to have that, that ability and, and, and find your game. I mean, that's, you, you put the shot on them. It's, it's time to, to be able to, to find them. And I think anything that can help you find yeah. them is, is, uh, is, is super valuable. So I, I, I'll yeah, be and, honest. And you I might got, say I'm a good shot. I don't need that information, but it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have that information. Yeah. I've never met anybody that's bow hunted for a long time that hasn't made a bad shot. Like I'm, hundred percent you can you you can crit you know when i make a bad shot i criticize myself harder than anybody else could and you got you got to learn from it like that's a hundred percent and it's not making excuses but they will it will happen and and you gotta yeah. understand what you can do to help i guess minim or maximize the chances of finding that deer or knowing what kind of happened to it at that at that point yeah. by it. i think understand the anatomy understanding how they work when they're wounded like that's why that that book sounds super familiar and i think all this information yeah. that you're giving here can be really helpful for people um it's not the sexiest thing so. to talk about but i think it's uh yeah i think you know it's it's more sexy to talk about finding bucks that are bedded in this location blah 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 but it's uh it's yeah it, <laughs> this is this is super valuable so i appreciate you coming on and and talking to me about all that absolutely absolutely it's been a great honor yeah, no, thank you. Where, where can people, you and I are both going to go hunting this evening, so we're going to, we're going to cut this one off, but, uh, where can people yeah. find, uh, you know, your channel or anything else you want to direct people to, to, to be able to, to look up some stuff? Yeah. Um, so I, I have a number of hats cause I'm a hunting guide for our family ranch, but I would say for your general population, the thing that people might be interested in is our YouTube channel, um, which we also have a Instagram and a Facebook, but, um, the YouTube channel um, we're, we're starting to kick off a bunch of videos, um, that we've had stockpiled and, and just some real incredible stuff from hella hog hunts to, you know, hunting, you know, all over the world for mule deer and, you know, Sonora, Mexico, all that. And, um, it's called R tracks. It's, uh, it's spelled a little weird. It's R T R A X. And, uh, what it is, is it stands for our tracks and what we leave behind for our kids and our kids, kids. And, and that's really what we wanted to make the channel for was to document and, you know, have those memories for our future generations to watch back and, and see. And, um, but yeah, I would say visit the channel, um, check us out on Instagram and Facebook. It's the same thing, our tracks. And, um, if you ever need a tracker and you're in central Pennsylvania, um, look up Glenny tracking. You can find us on the United blood trackers. For those of you that are like, how do I find a tracker? Just type in unitedbloodtrackers.com. And, and this is what you did on your hunt last year. Uh, you put in your zip code and it'll show you all the trackers that are in your general area. And, um, so I would definitely recommend the United blood trackers. That whole organization has opened up tracking in a ton of States and they're great advocates for the benefits of it. 
And um, so, yeah, check us out, our tracks. Yeah, and I definitely got to have you back on to talk Western hunting too, because you love that stuff. It's it's hard. Oh, I would it's, love that. It's 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 hard to to stay. To, but to to stay keep it focused for the purpose of the podcast but there's plenty of things that, is, uh, yeah. that we can talk about so again thank you so much for coming on man i really do appreciate it thank you thank you it's a great honor thanks so much for listening to this episode of east meets west hunt with your host bo martonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com facebook at east meets west outdoors and instagram at east meets west hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time